Hello, welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is your host, Francis Harry. Today we have a homily given by Deacon Mark Danis, who is my former host with Carmelite Conversations. He's finally finished his training for the diaconate and was ordained this summer. And now we're getting to hear a lot of his homilies. So today it was um, one during our holy hour and it is on the little flower and a deeper sense of the little way. So St. Therese of Lisieux, a deeper sense of the little way. I hope you enjoy it. God bless. So um, for those of you who are familiar with golf and the masters, you would know a, a phrase, a term that's used called Amen Corner. Amen Corner is uh, that section of um, Augusta, where the Masters is played every year, uh, that uh, represents a couple of very difficult holes uh, that have to be played. And they're beautiful, probably the most beautiful setting in golf. We are in the middle of what I characterize as Amen Corner for those of us on the spiritual journey. It began last Saturday with Therese of Lisieux's feast day, something I apologize I was not able to participate in the preparation of that we had here at um, St. Peter's, uh, but I'll offer some insight on that today. Um, and then continued with um, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, St. Bruno, some of you know the founder of the Carthusians, um, uh, St. Faustina, just a day later, and then Holy Rosary. All of this in a very short period of time, concluding, of course, next Saturday with our mother, St. Teresa of Avila. So this is Amen Corner. There's a lot to be gained here. And what I'd like to talk about just um, somewhat briefly is where we started with St. Therese of Lisieux in a term that I think many people perhaps misunderstand. By the way, you'll note I'm working without notes. They're sitting in a backpack in the sacristy at St. Paul's in Yellow Springs where I left it. As I was grabbing the vestments and father to get out of the uh, church so that we could get to St. Luke's uh, so I could get here. So anyway, I'm working without a net. Um, the, um, the term spiritual childhood oftentimes misrepresented, misunderstood as abandonment, uh, total trust in God. These are not inappropriate, but they're not complete. Um, You'll hear sometimes holy indifference. Holy indifference is even a, a series of theological uh, text literature on holy indifference, started by Francis de Sales, by the way. I don't have a problem with any of those. They're just not complete. And so what I'd like to do is give you an analogy of what I think spiritual childhood is really about, because it isn't a resignation to circumstances and dependence and confidence on God. That's appropriate and it's necessary. It's simply not sufficient. So I want you to place yourself at uh, a summer experience that I hope all of you had or something akin to at the lake uh, with your family and um, most especially in this case, your dad who will represent a God for our uh, little story here today. And I want you to imagine that dad challenges you to uh, wander down the coast, the shoreline of the lake that you're on. It's a rather a deep lake and there are cliffs that climb away from the water and as you go further down the coastline these cliffs become steeper. And he encourages you to climb up on a, let's say a four to five foot rock and he wants you to become confident about jumping into the water. He wants you to trust him 
that things are going to work okay when you do this because he wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He wants you to overcome uh, your uh, reservations. Now, like most children, you're encouraged to do this. You're excited to do it because, one, your dad's asking you to. And like Therese of Lisieux, though we sometimes like to think of her as she described herself as this weak, frail, petite little girl, she's also one who wanted to be Joan of Arc. She's also one who wanted to go on missions all over the world. She had a great deal of courage. And like her, we climb to the top of this rock and we decide that we're going to trust our father and we're going to jump off. Now, Dad says, take a few steps back, get a little bit of a running start, and I want you to just jump off. You can, you know, crunch your legs or however you decide to do it, but just hit the water. And so we do this, knowing that our dad is standing in the water just below us. And Dad doesn't quite catch us, but he, he extends his hands and he gets us fairly quickly after we impact the water. He allows us to go under the water because that's part of the experience, right? And so our eyes close, our mouth closes, we're in silence. Everything around us as we're underwater, of course, goes immediately silent. If you're thinking of an analogy to prayer here, you'd be on track. Our father lets us go into the water and he quickly grabs us, puts his arms around us, and he picks us up out of the water. And then he asks us to do it again. And we do this a number of times throughout a number of weeks over the course of the summer. But late in our stay in this particular location, our father says, let's go a little further down the shoreline here. And I want you to ascend the steeper cliffs. I want you to get up on a rock that's maybe 8 to 10 feet now above the water. And as we ascend that cliffside, we're looking very carefully at how we're navigating this and climbing up. We find very little room for our feet, and we turn and we look out into the water to explain to Dad that we're not going to be able to run now. And he looks up and says, by the way, you won't be able to run off this. There's no room. And we notice our father is a little further out in the water this time. And in fact, we see his arms going about, so we know he's actually treading water. So he's over his head. And as we look down, unlike where we jumped before, we can't see the bottom of the lake here. So it's over our head, just below these cliffs. And dad says to us, yeah, the jump won't work here. You're going to have to go head first. You're going to have to put your head down. And he says, what I want you to do is, I want you to put your hands together like this. And I want you to extend them up towards me like this. Then I want you to bend your knees. And if anybody's thinking of prayer here, you'd be on track. And he says, when you hit the water at the proper angle, it's going to just cause you to come right up, right in front of me. I'll be right there. Don't worry. Now, because our dad asked us to do this and we have confidence in him, we're willing to do it. And so in this particular case, we bend our knees, we extend our hands. There's no running here. We're just going to have to push off. And there's a great, I wish I had the book, I intended to bring it with me. There's a great little uh, paragraph um, from Father Haggerty's book, uh, Contemplative Provocations. If you're familiar with the series that Father Haggerty wrote on contemplation, I encourage you to read them at any time. They're brief reflections you can contemplate for an hour on just one small section. But he says in there, that our life of faith at some point will require a major leap. It will require jumping out into the unknown. 
and allowing ourselves to fall eventually into the embrace of our Father, where we will find our security. But it's going to take that leap of faith. See, spiritual childhood is not sufficiently understood as resignation to our circumstances, as holy indifference, as abandoning confidence in our Father. All that is necessary and true. But like little children who like to explore, who like to experience, we're going to have to take, as Kierkegaard said, a leap of faith. It's a prerequisite, actually, to a deeper embrace and understanding of our relationship with God. So we push off, we jump out, and we're totally unaware at this point of the potential of the catastrophes that might occur. What are they? We're adults, so we all know. We might panic in the last moment and do a cannonball. Not greatly risky, but nonetheless a possibility. We might go a little too far with feet up and do a flip. Not a good situation. We might lay out at the wrong angle and end up in a belly flop from eight feet. That's not going to be fun. But we're not aware of it because we're practicing something that children practice, that adults, unfortunately, have forgotten. And it's called spiritual naivete. We have to reacquire spiritual naivete. What is naivete? Innocence. It's blissfully unaware. When we leave the rock, we're no longer aware of the possibilities of what might happen short of ending up in our Father's arms. Why? Because we've done it time and time again in the lower rock. We know what's going to happen. And we're not even not thinking about or dwelling on or looking at the possibility of this not going right. We have blissful childhood naivete. We're completely unaware of the possibility that something other than what our dad told us was going to happen is going to happen. We're going to end up in his arms. Now, there's an adult version of this story, and it was experienced by St. Peter. When he was asked after launching a boat and crossing a lake one night, and the Lord was left behind on the shore and went up on a mountain to pray, and the winds are rocking the boat, and, you know, it's not a great night to be out on the lake. But in the middle of the night, the apostles see the Lord approaching them on the water. And the waves are rustling, and the wind is blowing, and Peter's rocking in the boat, and the Lord says, Peter, come out of the boat. Come to me. Peter had asked, is that you, Lord? And the Lord says, yes, it's me. Have no fear. Come to me. And we all know the story. Peter gets out of the boat, and he begins to walk. And what's the first thing that happens? Peter's left the rock, if you will. He's midair. But unlike the naivete of a Therese, in this case, Peter immediately focuses on the wind. He focuses on the waves. He focuses on the boat that's rocking behind him. And he takes his eyes off Christ, and he begins to sink. Because we adults are too well-schooled in what might happen to us in life. We're too well aware of the risks, of the potential consequences to a deeper, intimate encounter with the living God, and we focus on it. And even if we don't focus on it, we're aware of it, and it distracts us. The third part of the story, Holy Rosary. 
the Feast of the Holy Rosary. Some of you know the story, the historical context of the rosary. It's been called the uh, simple person's psalter. Why is that? The original rosary was 150 mysteries, and that's associated with the 150 psalms of the Old Testament. What are the psalms? They are a complete expression of the entire um, wealth of the human experience. David's lowest lows and his highest highs reflected in the Psalms. Brought forward to uh, St. Dominic, this same uh, gift of our Blessed Mother to us is a mini version of the Gospel. That's exactly what it is. And it represents the lowest lows and the highest highs of Jesus and Mary's life. But in order to extract as much value for ourselves as is available to us in the recitation of the rosary, we must do something. We must respond to what the Lord said to us in the New Testament. I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. What is a full life? Many people misread that verse as have life to the fullest means life's going to be good. It's going to be okay. It's going to be the elimination of those things in my life that I don't want. That's not what Christ meant. The full human experience is ascending the steep rock, is walking out onto the shore in the midst of the wind, is reflecting on the experience of Jesus and Mary's life in their lowest lows and their highest highs. We must be brought at times to an encounter with the reality of the suffering of humanity because we experience it ourselves. We must at times reflect on the circumstances of glory that are resonant in every one of our lives as we encounter the living God. We must reflect on the light that is occasionally brought to us. Thank you, Pope St. John Paul II, for reminding us of that. The rosary is not simply something that we recite. It is something that we enter into because the 150 and now 200 mysteries that are there are meant to give us the fullest experience, the fullest human experience, the lowest lows and the highest highs. We'll know nothing but glory when we cross over. But today, we enter into every human reality, and we encounter it in love. And like the little child, we embrace it, we're excited about the challenge, and we rely on the reality, excluding all other thoughts, of the promise of our Heavenly Father, you will end up in my arms.